All right, we're glad to be back, all whatever of us. We'll get back to where we were. That's the, the rough part about all this is forgetting this is temporary. Uh, we have a tendency to take our latest circumstances the way it's going to always be. And one of the things I have to constantly do with students at the school is remind them that, look, this is temporary. And uh, take hope in that, all right? And I don't have to wear a mask, so, ha! No. <laughs> Sorry. All right, well, we're going to continue in the uh, life of Christ. Uh, we're close to 20 lessons in, but we're still early in the ministry of, of Jesus. We looked last week at some of his first, first things that happened in his what we call the great Galilean ministry. Him having declared the kingdom of God is at hand, and then starting to do things to demonstrate that the kingdom of God is at hand. The creator into his creation, renewing, restoring. So we looked at last week, you know, a demon-possessed man in a synagogue, and, and Peter's mother-in-law sick on the Sabbath, and how he turned that around and looked at a whole bunch of other stuff. But uh, today, we're going to continue in Luke. Now, the accounts we're going to read today are in both Mark and Matthew, and I'll sort of augment what we talk about through Mark's account, but I just like Luke's writing better. So we're going to look, we're going to stay with Luke's account here, and we're going to look at two more things where Jesus demonstrates his authority, how he, he now, having declared the kingdom of God, demonstrates the kingdom of God. And we're going to see some of the first now, trouble starting to brew with the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law. We're going to see that as well. And it's two episodes, as you can tell from the outline. One is with a man with leprosy, who he, he heals, and more than that, who he reclaims for the community, because there's more going on than just the healing. And then, probably a, real, a famous episode where the, the friends let down their... Their, their paralytic friend through the, through the ceiling, through the roof, and he heals him and declares his sin forgiven. So he's restored in more ways than one. We see several things happening there. So that's our outline from Luke chapter 5. So if someone would read for us, oh, well, you're ready to go. See, you, you don't even, I should just call on you first. You know. Well, Jay's not here. That's true. Jay's not here. <laughs> that's right. How quickly we forget. So our first little uh, episode, verses 12 through 16. While Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell to his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Then Jesus ordered him, Don't tell anyone, but go. Show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Yet the news about him spread all the more, so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places, and pray. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, once again, you know, with Luke, the historian, you know, we wish he would provide a few more details, but he's just always saying, you know, and then this happened, you know, and it came about that he did this, and then a little while later, in other words, we can see the historian 
look using other gospels as well. So we don't get the exact timeline, but we learn from Mark that this is still early on. It's right after what we had talked about last week. And what happens is while he is going from city to city, teaching, Luke uses a phrase, and we retranslate it, behold, right? Behold. Uh, and he came about while he was in one of the cities. Behold, there was a man full of leprosy. We would translate that today, and what do you know? You're not going to believe this. Some translations actually say, lo and behold. In other words, we're supposed to get a surprise here. It's not, and behold. It's, and what do you know about this? While he was in a city, in a village, here's a man covered full of leprosy. And all of you from your biblical movies all know that lepers are shunned. They're put in, they're put in their own communities. People stay away from them. And there's several reasons for that. First of all, this word uh, leprosy is not just what we term today leprosy. The Greek word has to do with scaly, okay, to be, have scales. To, and it, has, it, it covers a multitude of skin diseases, which were thought to be, depending on not having the medical knowledge, all these things are high, wondering if they're highly contagious. In fact, if you read in Leviticus, there's two chapters in Leviticus, 13 and 14, I think is what they are. And, I mean, it's page after page after page, and it's almost like a medical diagnosis. If you present yourself to the priest and this happens and seven days, seven days later you're okay, well, then go, you're cleansed. But if this happens, then you're not. In other words, it's, there's a lot of detail about this. So there was a fear of people with leprosy, even though it's not what necessarily what we term today as leprosy. It, it, it covers a, a whole bunch of stuff. But they were considered ceremonially unclean. Ceremonially? I added a syllable. Ceremonially unclean as well. There was thought to be a sinfulness attached to this as well. Not just unclean for that reason, but unclean because you want to, in our COVID days, all of you are unclean. We all separate ourselves. We're all in our own little leprous pods here. Um, so that's what this guy is dealing with always. And here he is, outside of wherever it is that the lepers in this particular area were supposed to be. That's why Luke says, and look at this. You're not going to believe this, but a man covered with leprosy. Now notice Luke doesn't just say a leper. A leper. Luke, being the physician, actually gives us detail and says he's, he's covered. With, this, is, this is late stage stuff almost. He gives us a little more detail rather than just saying a leper. But what's amazing about this as well is that this guy is either has great faith or, or, or just or, or, or real uh, excitement, whatever it might be, to be able to say, I'm going to go to Jesus. He defies social distancing. And he defies all the things we're saying, and he goes to Jesus. And notice the humility with which he approaches Jesus. We're told that he comes before him, falls face down before him, and says, Lord, if you are willing, if you're willing, you, you can cleanse me. Now notice, not just heal me, cleanse me. There is a reclaiming of this man for the community. You can restore me, reclaim me, cleanse me of this, if you will. 
And then what beautiful, beautiful moment where Jesus knows it's against the law to touch a leper because that will make you ceremonially, ceremonially unclean. Jesus touches him. I think in the midst of all of our COVID stuff right now, we're realizing, especially with our, our, our most vulnerable members in, in nursing homes and in care facilities, lacking that touch, lacking human interaction, that, that thing that's necessary for human beings. And here, Jesus doesn't just proclaim from afar, he touches him and says, I am willing. I love that. I am willing. Be cleansed. Not, yay, be cleansed. You know, it's just, yes, be cleansed. And of course, metaphorically, that's true of all of us. All of us are unclean until we fall before the Master and He touches us and He declares us clean, especially from our sin. We're all leprous, if you want to think of it that way, in our souls before Jesus touches us and cleanses us. And notice Luke says it's immediate. Again, this is not something gradual. This is immediate that the man is cleaned. The leprosy left him. And then Jesus, as he, as he did with the demons, he forbid them to speak. He tells this man, now go. He ordered him not to tell anyone. Now, Mark's account says he couldn't help it. Mark says after this, he just went and told everyone. <laughs> um, but, and again, remind yourselves about why he would do this. This is still early in his ministry. There's several things happening here. We talked about it a little bit last week. But we don't want a, a premature conflict, premature uh, declaration of this militaristic Messiah as word gets out. In other words... The true understanding of the, of the Christ and Messiahship comes through the cross. He has to get to the cross, and he knows that. Well, word does get around anyway, but he says, having just now seemed to be flaunting the law, having you know, touched this man, he now says he follows the law. He encourages this man to follow the law. He goes, don't tell anyone, but I do want you to show yourself to the priest, and I do want you to offer the proper sacrifice. That's going to involve going to Jerusalem at some point. We're not told when or how he got there. We're told about the sacrifice that has to be given in Leviticus. And it involves killing a bird. And I'm sorry. And a lamb. Okay, there's several things going on there. But he has to go to Jerusalem eventually. But he does have to present himself so that he can be reclaimed. And Jesus says, that'll be your testimony. As a testimony to them. You go and show. So here he is flaunting the law. We're actually showing where the law is flawed in this sense, but then asking him through the law to demonstrate this cleansing. And as we're told in, in Mark, and as we're told here, no matter what the circumstance, word spreads. And as like the last time we were in Capernaum, and word just spread. And Jesus finds himself having to remove himself often from exhaustion, not just physical, but, but spiritual depletion, having to minister over and over and over. When I was a pastor, when I was pastoring, I would always use Mondays as my day off just because I was tired. 
not because I was healing lepers necessarily, but because it's just, it's just a, a, it, it drains you to have to give and give and give and give. And Sunday is the big work day for pastors. We have proof over here. I don't know why you're not out doing something, man. Okay. <laughs> Sitting here in leisure. All right. Um, so here, Jesus, remember, he's fully human. We forget that on this side. You know, we have no trouble with his divinity. We have trouble with his humanity. The early church didn't have trouble with his humanity. There he was. That trouble is divinity. We have to remember he got tired and needed to eat. And he needed, like us, to have these times of repose and communion with God through prayer. So we see here, we've seen demons fleeing. We've seen disease going away. Now we see sort of the pariah of the society, the leper, being reclaimed. Are you seeing the... the You're seeing the creation being renewed. Here's the beginning. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Here it is. It's beginning. We're seeing it through Jesus. And the crowds are, wow! Now, they don't have a full understanding that this is the nature of his Messiahship. His disciples don't at this point. We don't even have all the disciples yet. But people know who cares. People know who can make a difference, and they're coming. Well, some other people hear about Jesus. In other words, this attraction isn't just to those in need. This also gets to the ear of others who have a program for bringing about the kingdom of God. And those others we've talked about when we talked about the book of Acts in our last study are the Pharisees and the scribes. Remember, the Pharisees are, are more of more of an alternate sect. They're, they're not in power. They're not government officials, but they have, they're, they're their own pushback group. And they're sort of leading the protests. We're also in an age of protests. And they're doing that. And what they're doing is they too want the kingdom of God to come, but they're going to do that through Israel being law-abiding, strict, Torah-only, no Gentiles, get rid of the pagans, Israel. So they're really hardcore. You also have the teachers of the law, the scribes, who are sort of the puppets of those. They later become what we call rabbis, most, for the most part. But they've heard about this. And here's this guy seeming to do in a way that we don't want to happen, talking about the kingdom of God, to bring about the kingdom of God. And this is not how this is supposed to be. So here you have them coming with suspicion and doubt. Whereas so far we've seen people coming with faith and excitement and real need. Now we have seen Jesus encounter Pharisees in John's account when we looked at that first visit to Jerusalem. This is Luke's first bringing up of, all right, trouble could be brewing. Now with that set up, Let's look at the next section, and that is the lame man being restored, paralytic. Someone begin at verse 17 and take us through verse 26.
and the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Some men carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to make, take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, Who is this fellow that speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, Why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up and walk. But I want you to know, that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Immediately he stood up in front of him, took what he had been laying on, and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax That's good. We're good. You're okay. Yeah, good job. All right. And this is probably one that's familiar to a lot of us. It's, it's one of my favorites simply because of the, part of it's because of the comic element that we miss. I mean, that would be, you know, I mean, you're sitting there. Uh, Mark tells us this is at a house in Capernaum, like maybe Jesus' home base in Capernaum. Luke, in his exactitude, says, yeah, it came about one day. Anyway, sometimes he's so precise, and then others, it's, yeah, and then another time. Um, but, I mean, what would that be like? I mean, suddenly to just see that happen. I did see there was one uh, cinematic portrayal of, of the life of Jesus, and I don't remember which one, where this scene is enacted. And, and they get the comic element, where, where actually, you know, even... Everyone's kind of, you know, laughing. Jesus kind of laughs about the whole thing in, in the sense of, wow. I mean, you're destroying my house, but I'm glad you're here, you know, kind of thing. Yes, sir? When you dig a hole in the roof, stuff doesn't fly, it goes down. It goes down. There you go. There had to be a, what, yeah, there had to be that anticipation. Also, what's, what, what we like about this is we, what we, what, what, what's, great about this initial story or initial this story in the initial ministry of Jesus is the Pharisees starting to see some of the dangers of this guy. Notice they, they accuse him of blasphemy because he dares to forgive sins. Um, C.S. Lewis famously uses this as an example of one of those things that people had to make sense of about here's someone who seems to be okay he's, he's a human being but he claims to forgive sins, meaning sins that weren't even committed against him, but he claims to forgive them, and people still give him credence. They don't think he's crazy. Now, the Pharisees, to, to give them credit, they know what he's claiming here. He's claiming the prerogatives of God alone. So this is early on that we start seeing a glimpse of the full nature of who Jesus is, to forgive sin. 
And then Lewis, of course, parlays that into his famous argument of liar, lunatic, or Lord in mere Christianity, of the idea of, look, Jesus is either who he claimed to be, or he's a liar, or he was nuts. Okay, and you've got to make your choice. Um, that's, so Lewis kind of uses this as an example of one of those things that declares the divinity of Jesus, and therefore you have to make up your mind. Is he or is he not? That's, of course, assuming the trustworthiness of the Scripture, which Lewis did in advance. All right. Well, let's look at the story and unpack it a little bit. Um, that clock is slow, right? Yeah. Like almost 10 minutes slow, right? All right. Because they'll come, they'll come and kick us out, man. All right. We're on a roll. Don't, don't stop me. All right. Well, notice there are Pharisees. We talked about the Pharisees. And, and Luke here, for his Gentile audience, he doesn't use the normal term for a scribe, grammatize. He uses, uh, he uses something that will let you know it's nomodidaskalos in Greek, which is nomos, law, teacher. So they understand what we're talking about. He's doing that for us Gentiles, all right? So teachers of the law, same thing as scribes. And they've come from all over, including Jerusalem. And there's a lot of other people, so you have to picture it as Jesus in the house, people around, people crowded around at the doorway, in the, you know, whatever windows there were, those kinds of things. That's the setting for these men bringing their friend who is paralyzed. He can't get to them, so they want to get to him. So we're told that they go up onto the roof and dig a hole. All right, now, how did they get to the roof? That's a great question. Most of the homes had stairways on the sides of the homes so that you could get onto the roof. So in the cool of the evening, that kind of thing, you could be in the cool of the evening, but up higher, away from the dust of the ground. So lot, most of the homes had these stairways up to, this, up to the roof. Now we have a great theological controversy. And I'm not kidding. There are pages wasted on this. Um, Mark says that they dug a hole in the roof. A lot, of the, a lot of the homes back then, of course, the roofs would have been mud thatch, okay? Which makes sense, you would dig a hole. Whereas Luke says, what? Remove tiles. Oh, well, which is it? And is the Bible false? Uh, I'm, I'm serious. That's, those are the types of discussions out there. Um, Remember, Luke's already given us hints as Gentiles to understand, you know, like he's, he's explaining things for Gentile audiences. I would think that he's just saying tiles because that's what his, most of his Gentile audience would understand uh, in, the, in the Mediterranean basin. They had tiles. And it's not to say that there weren't tiles even in homes in and around Capernaum at the time. So hopefully that's not one of the questions that Peter's going to ask you for admission. Into the, into the hereafter, you know. Okay, was it tiles or mud thatch? And you'll have to give your answer. But I don't think it's that big of a deal. Um, either way, you have this dramatic event occurring, and here comes this guy down through the roof, um, and right in front of Jesus. So that's some good digging, or good tile removing. <laughs> right in front of Jesus. And seeing their faith, not just, you know, the friends and this person, the, the, the paralytic, 
seeing this, this excitement and exuberance and determination and faith to get to Jesus. Notice his proclamation. Friend, some of your Bibles may say man. It is literally in Greek, man, anthropos. But it was also to call someone, it'd be like, a, hey man. Like friend, you know, hey man. Oh, oh yes, I am a man. You know, we don't do that. We, we use man that way as well. And he, says, and he says, man, friend, your sins are forgiven you. Well, they brought him down through the, the, the roof to get him healed of his paralysis. And by the way, that's where we get the word paralysis. is from the Greek word. It's, the, it's, that's where, it's what it is. Um, and by the way, we get the word ceramics from the word for tile. Krasmus. So there you go. Those are free, by the way. You are free to use those. Those are party trick things. All right. That's right. You can bring those up at parties. Um, well, that's probably stunning, right? To the guy laying in front of him and to the friends and to everyone around him. Because they know why he's there. And him to declare, your sins are forgiven you. We see Jesus doing more than just restoring this man's ability to walk. We see him restoring what truly needs restored, and that is his relationship with God, his sins being forgiven. Once again, we're told, remember John says, Jesus knows what's in man, he knows what people need. Here we go straight to the core. But it also sets up a conflict, because remember, you've got the Pharisees and the law, the, the experts in the law there, and they hear him declare this, and for them, the only way your sins are gonna be forgiven is, is through the sac ceremonial, the sacrificial system, Day of Atonement. All this has to happen through the temple in Jerusalem by God. And here's this upstart. Who cares what power he has? Here's this upstart declaring forgiveness of sin. So they start dialoguing in their minds. And that's the word that's used there, the reasoning. That's where we get our word dialogue, the Greek word there. And in their minds, and we're told that in Mark's account, they don't utter these things. It's just, they, that's what's brewing, percolating in their minds. Who is this? He speaks blasphemy. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And then, of course, Jesus, aware of this. Here's another clue about his divinity. Him being aware of what they're doing. Uh, Eugene Peterson's paraphrase, he says, what's all the gossipy whispering going on here? That's how Peterson kind of puts it for our modern audience. But he answered and said, Who, why are you reasoning in your hearts? What is all this gossipy whispering going on? And then, of course, he really puts it to him. And he says, all right, which is easier? To declare something which can't actually be observably proved or to declare something which can be observably proven. Which would be easier? Well, of course it'd be easier just to say your sins are forgiven because no one can climb into his heart and see that. But to actually declare something that has to be proven on the spot, that's a little more difficult. So them having saying, I can't believe he's saying you can forgive sin. He goes, all right. So in order, so which is, which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven, not provable, 
right here in the, on the spot, or rise and walk, something that has to be proven right on the spot. In order that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, and by the way, there are some translations have that in the mouth of Jesus. So if you have a red letter edition, and if it's red, your translators have in order that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. They put that in the mouth of Christ. There is, however, there, there, you can have a warranted argument for that being Luke saying, in order for you, meaning the reader, in order for you, the reader, to know that the Son of Man has authority to, on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, so which is it? Well, it's again, is it tile or thatch? Uh, but in this case, the, the impact is not lessened. If, however, it is in, on the, if it is in Jesus', in Jesus words out of his mouth, him declaring himself the Son of Man, that's his favorite appellation for himself. There's a few reasons for that. One is that he identifies with humanity. Son of Man, Adam, son of Adam, Adam, Hebrew for man. So he identifies with humanity. The second is from Daniel 7, where you have a prophecy about one like a son of man coming, sitting on the clouds and having power. And it was, in some places, a messianic prophecy, but not as loaded as some of the others. To say the Messiah or the Christ, the chosen one, those sorts of things were politically loaded terms. For him to say son of man, he could declare his full, who he is, that he's just a, I am a, a son of a man like you, but also he can declare this is his role, but it's not as loaded. It's not as loaded as a term, but it's his favorite for himself so that you can know that I have this authority. I say to you, rise, take up your stretcher and go home. And that kind of, imagine being one of the Pharisees or the scribes. Who does he think he is? Oh, that's who he thinks he is. <laughs> kind of showing, oh. At once, again, we get that there's no gradualness to this. At once he rose before him, he took up what he'd been lying on, and he went home glorifying God. I don't know that I'd have remembered to take my stretcher. <laughs> but he did. Um, there are some translations that have it. His, he took up his little bed which is, you know, small, because it has the, the, an idea of small, small kind of bed of some sort. But, but he took it up, and he went home glorifying God. I'm sure there was more than, than that. I'm sure there was some hugs and some wow and a whole bunch of stuff. Fixing the roof. <laughs> Fixing the roof. I'll be back. My friends and I'll be back. That's awesome. You know, if you were going to stage this, if you were going to make a movie of it, that would be cool to show the next day. You know, Jesus with some of the disciples. Those guys up on the roof. That would be, oh, that's good. That would be so fun. Thank you. <laughs> Don't think I'm not going to use it. Yeah. All right. And then everyone was seized with astonishment. That's a word from which we get our term ecstasy, okay? Uh, ecstasis. They're seized with this and began glorifying God, just as the man had. 
and they were filled with fear. Some of your Bibles may say awe, right? But with this glory and all that's happened, there's an element of, you know, whoa, what is going on here? Holy fear. And I think some of that is missing perhaps today uh, in a lot of uh, how we do church. Uh, we, we miss holy fear that, you know, this is cool and all, but whoa. You know, there's a danger to holiness, to goodness. And I think I've said this before. That's why Lewis, C.S. Lewis chose a lion to be Aslan. Goodness, yes. But, whoa, it's a lion. He's not a tame lion, right? Well, here is that respect, that all that fear, saying we have seen remarkable things today. Uh, we get our word paradox from that word remarkable, paradoxe. So that their reason, their rationality can't, can't fully wrap around what has taken place. What, what I see is true right here before me, my mind just can't wrap around that element of remarkable. Not just, wow, that was really keen, but I can't make sense of this. A paradox, and that's where we, that's the word that's used here. Because the Creator has come into His creation. And he's one thing at a time showing how things will be made right. Reclaiming those who have been ostracized as unclean, as not worth anybody's attention, as a danger to be around. They will be reclaimed. And then you have someone like a paralytic who not only will walk again, but more importantly, be restored and have not just his legs restored, but his life restored. So you see these remarkable things taking place. And again, notice it's not just people who are impressed by it who are noticing. It's people who are, are basically afraid of this. And we're going to see the conflict continue to rise, even though we're still early in the ministry of Christ. So, God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And here we see it slowly taking place. What about people like real sinners? I mean, not just these kind of guys. What about real ones? Like tax collectors? What about those kinds of people? <laughs> well, that's what we'll look at next week. It's interesting to me that the way that things were viewed back in those days was that a person's uh, disease or disability was thought to be a consequence of their sin. So saying your sins are forgiven, they thought that the person's being paralyzed was because he was sinful. And the, the paradox is that they were not expecting God to enter time and space, that Messiah would be a, a, a man, a human figure. They were messianic in their fervor, but they weren't expecting that to be God. And so that, that, that probably explains part of the reaction, is that, you know, he deserved to be paralyzed, and now his sins are forgiven. 
However, nowadays, we turn it around. Nowadays, he would look at it as being a victim. Mm. And he didn't have any sense to be forgiven because he was a victim. Right. We've, we've turned it around. Yeah, very good. And Jesus is going to take great pains in some later passages to, to, to dispel this idea of sin directly leading to whatever infirmity you have. But yeah, you're exactly, exactly right. Is that a, a clue? I have a minute. Oh, wow. Well, then, let's not waste it. Let's talk to this God we've been talking about. Thanks again, Father, for uh, your goodness to us, your blessing to us, that we can be here today to uh, discuss your word and to, and to, to, to hear remarkable things as, as they saw remarkable things and to uh, once again be stunned by the reality of God among us. Our prayer as, is that uh, as we go through our week, we too would be these agents of change, that we would be perhaps like Jesus with the leper and have no fear to, to give a human touch, to love where maybe no one else is loving, and, or be like the friends and care so much uh, to bring someone uh, to Jesus. We know that there are opportunities all around us to be the uh, agents, the ambassadors you've called us to be, uh, we just have to be obedient. Give us wise eyes to see where these things are happening so that we can be people of your will, be people who represent uh, a forgiven people who have been loved beyond measure. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Awesome. And to you podcast people, we'll talk to you next week. <laughs>